0: Let I me mean, invite you to take your Bibles this morning. Join us in the Old Testament today. Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 is where we will focus our attention initially. We shall move from there perhaps. Uh, well, certainly we will. But Isaiah is uh, a wonderful book on a lot of uh, levels uh, for a number of reasons. But it is also a very difficult book. Uh, 66 chapters and there is no single narrative line so it's kind of like reading uh, a diary which I've never done personally but uh, I'm I'm, I'm aware having read other people's uh, record of their own experiences on on a Monday they might think of something on Tuesday they might think of something totally else Uh, Wednesday they're they're on a third subject and so forth that's the way life is it jumps from point to point to point to point well Isaiah's story if you will is difficult to follow and so people find it difficult to uh, read and if you will understand the big idea the main point but Isaiah is the most quoted book from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Which means that if you don't know the book of Isaiah, you are disadvantaged in understanding the New Testament. Because so many of the Gospel writers and the Apostle Paul loved the book of Isaiah and they understood it they understood it in ways that many of us just won't now much of Isaiah uh, obviously is a, uh, a prophecy that occurs uh, as a result of the trials or circumstances of ancient Israel and the modern contemporary mind you and I we'd read this book and we would say that's not my problem you know Judah Israel, Assyria, Ahaz, these kings and so forth that are not cooperating with God, not being faithful. That's just history, and that's not my problem. To which I would simply say, well, of course, it's not your specific problem, but it is your general problem. The reality is that History does repeat itself, and it's repeating itself even now. I'm not pointing to anything in particular, but I can assure you that there's nothing that the modern man is experiencing that the ancient man didn't also experience. We're all prone to sin. We're all prone to self-righteousness. We're all prone to uh, denying our God or at least acting as if we denying some sort of functional denial of God. We find ourselves distracted by the lusts of the eyes and the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life. In other words, friends, you're no different than a man who lived 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. You're no different. You've got the same problems and you've got the same accountabilities and the only thing that hasn't changed in 3,000 years is God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is the good news that we proclaim, that God is full of mercy. If he was merciful to them, he will be merciful to us. So we read Isaiah clinging to God's promise of mercy because we know that though our immediate historical circumstances are different, we don't live in Judah. We don't live in ancient Israel. Yet we are nonetheless citizens of earthly kingdoms, who are at various points in complete denial of God. We walk amongst people in darkness. And we find ourselves in need of a great light. Our culture needs it. Our nation needs it. Our community needs it. Our church needs it. And you need it. And this is the message of Isaiah that we read together today in Chapter 8. Specifically, his audience is the nation of Judah. Historically, the nation of Assyria is perched on the northern border. Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, is a profound enemy to the northern kingdom of Israel and then ultimately to the southern kingdom of Judah. Specifically, in chapter 8, he is proclaiming judgment upon Judah but offering the promise of hope. And we shall see that in a moment. So we're going to read uh, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 8 and read through familiar text through verse 7 of chapter 9. So let's read together. Isaiah prophesying against Judah, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of his people. Don't be like the people you live around. That's what he told Isaiah, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy, let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and against their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So these are words, I'll stop here. We're going to read chapter 9 momentarily. These are words of challenge, if you will, of confrontation. The prophet is confronting ancient Judah and saying to them, don't be like your contemporaries. Don't do what they do when they cry out. Let us consult the mediums and the necromancers. Necromancers are people who speak to the dead on behalf of the living. So people who are, if you will, holding some sort of seance and so forth. I have said before, I say again, the notion that the uh, they're, they're Christians are, are ignorant, and dare I say that's a good thing, that is a good thing, but Christians are ignorant of the occult. Uh, the so-called dark arts, the dark magic, the, the, the world of the occult is absolutely real. And the Bible says you are to have nothing to do with it. You war against principalities and powers in places that you have no knowledge of. If you want to talk about something that's above your pay grade, then let's talk about talking to the dead. You are to have nothing to do with it. He said, Well, that's fascinating. No, friend, it is eternally damning. You are to have nothing to do with it. And so when your friends say, well, let's just resort to whatever, come up with all these harebrained ideas about getting information or finding hope or looking for the dawn of, of uh, positivity in our lives, we're so discouraged. Let's talk to the dead. Uh, when, they, when your friends say, as he says here in verse 19, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their own God? He doesn't understand the reason that you're the people of God and you should not be talking to the dead. You should be talking to your own God. So his point here, of course, is he has a finger pointed at Judah, that they are not to be like their people that they live around. Verse 22, he concludes, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Have you noticed that the culture... Is increasingly depressed. Have you noticed that darkness appears to be getting darker? <laughs> do we find ourselves in similar circumstances? I would suggest yes, we do. But the good news of the Bible, friend, is that God never leaves you when you're alone. Or when you perceive you're alone. Or when you think you're alone. Are you disappointed that God is silent? It may seem really dark, and it is, but God never leaves his people alone. He always gives them hope. He always tells them, I'm working. You can't see me. You don't understand it, but I'm working. I have a plan, and I'm working my plan. And you're a part of my plan, and I intend for you to continue to be faithful even though you don't understand the plan. I always think about it this way. I've never been in the military, but I always have high regard for the military. My dad was civil service with the Army. And we lived on an Air Force base for two years when I was a child. And uh, so I love the military. And I love the whole choreography of the military. I, I just love it. You don't have to love it. I do. Uh, but I'm, re- I, I'm well aware that there are people who are general officers who make decisions for people who are not general officers. And people who are not general officers just sit around and either do what they're told to do or perhaps complain because human nature being what it is. So privates don't argue with generals because privates don't know what generals know. Corporals don't know what majors know. Corporals don't answer to the same people that majors answer to, that captains answer to, that colonels answer to. There are people who know more than privates know. Now think about ourselves. In our arrogance, we all think we're generals. We all think we're smart. We all think we have all the information we need. We all think we're gifted. We, all, we know where all of the skeletons are buried. We know all the way the parts move together. We know who's responsible, who ought to be responsible, who's guilty, so forth. We, we think we're brilliant. And the reality is we're not, certainly not compared to God. You ever tried to think about how would you run the lives of two people? Let's say you get married. Anybody have any friction in marriage? Anybody have any difficulty, if you will, some, some burn, just, just having two people get along? Then you add children. Well, that adds complexity, right? And then your children grow up and they get married. That adds complexity. Uh, My family's doing well, but my kids are miserable because, you know, they got this problem. They got these in-laws and all that. I mean, my child, my, my family of two became four. My family of four now became six or seven or 12 or whatever. And pretty soon we got this whole posse of people. And the reality is we're all miserable because nobody can control anything. Everybody's out of control. Well, try being God. You're running seven billion people at the same time and somehow keeping them all going in the same direction, keeping them all going in the right direction, your direction. Listen, friend, you don't have a scintilla of understanding of what it is to be God. And yet God says to his people, pay no attention to the foolishness of the people around you who are not mine because I am working with you and I intend to fulfill my plan through you in such a way that you will be blessed. Pay no attention to the silliness of the world. Instead, hope in God. So he says this to his own people in Judah because he wants them to not make an alliance with, the, with Assyria. He, he says to his people, these people are evil. These people are coming. Don't pay attention to what the culture says you need to do to save yourself. Instead, look to God. Be faithful to what you know. Don't deviate from God. This is our inherent problem. We're constantly shopping a better God. We're constantly consulting with people other avenues of joy or peace or satisfaction or insight or to use the metaphor he uses light we're looking for light in the midst of our despair or in the midst of our pain or in the midst of our sorrow or in the midst of our fears we're looking for light and God says do not look for light in the world don't do it because the world Markets itself as full of light, but in fact, it's just talking to the dead. So that brings us to chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. of hosts. The word host means angel armies, the armies of glory. The general who commands the armies of heaven, he will do this. I just want to make three quick applications. The third is more lengthy, so I'll be quick about the verse 2. The first thing you note in his conversation with ancient Judah is that darkness is real. There's an awful lot of discouragement. There's an awful lot of shopping for worldly peace, worldly gods, worldly insights, worldly thinking. Darkness is real. I assure you that if, if you are leaning into the world system And finding your peace in the affairs of man and the workings of man, you will find yourself increasingly without hope. If you find yourself miserable today, I will tell you, it is because you have allowed your God to become junior, and you've allowed your world to become senior. There's only one reason why people find themselves profoundly discouraged. And that is because they find themselves consulting with their circumstances and their circumstances are letting them down. If I trust in a man, if I trust in a woman, if I trust in my children, if I trust in my parents, if I trust in my boss, if I trust in my neighbor, if I trust in my friend, if I trust in whatever, if I trust in the world's system in various ways, there's all kinds of systems, economic systems, political systems, governmental systems. There's all kinds of systems that are at play in our work, in our lives. And if you find yourself trusting in those things, Believe you me, eventually there's going to be a a wreck, a train wreck. And your system is going to let you down. People will let you down. Even the people who love you will let you down. The people who love you the most will let you down. They will. They will. Absolutely they will. It's okay. Let's not throw rocks at them. Let's recognize that ultimately our joy needs to come from something besides the world that which is in the world is prone to rottenness to decay to sin to selfishness and all kinds of other negative words we live in a broken system and we're a part of it we contribute to it we aid the system we are the problem you're not going to find hope looking to yourself you're not going to find hope looking to the people around you who you think are never going to let you down they will they do They disappoint, they frustrate you, they anger you. Darkness is real, and darkness takes all kinds of shapes and sizes. In the case of Isaiah, he's talking about the macro picture. He's talking about the government and and the people who who follow the government, and they've found themselves in the midst of hellish behavior. They have rejected God, and, and there's only a handful, literally, who are still faithful to God. Now, that may or may not be your evaluation of your circumstance, but I assure you, friend, darkness is real. If you find yourself today discouraged, take a number. You've got a lot of company in that boat. Darkness is real. People are easily discouraged, and we are discouraged because we pay far too much attention to things that cannot bring the light. <laughs> they just can't. It's not to suggest that we shouldn't effort in our cultural realities. If you have a family, you should labor to help your family, serve your family, lead your family, provoke your family in the ways of God. If you're part of a church, you ought to help your church to be faithful to God. If you're part of a community, you ought to help your community be faithful to God. If you're part of a state, part of a Nation, all of us are, you should help those entities be faithful to God. You should, but ultimately, you don't get your hope from those things. Darkness is real, and there are people today that are swimming in darkness. And I would ask the question, Christian, Christian friend, if, if you're a Christian, Are you bringing the light of God into your darkness? Are you a person who is salt and light, a person of influence in your particular context? You can't fix it all, change it all. You can't choreograph it all, but you can be you. You can be who God wants you to be. Darkness is real. And the notion that somehow we all ought to just be Pollyannish run around with a little happy smile and just say it doesn't really matter. Well, that's ridiculous. Because pain is real and sorrow is real and hopelessness is real and sin is real. And we are not Pollyannish about it. We confront it. We deal with it. We advocate for God in the midst of these circumstances. We, we raise our hand and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we want to encourage you to come with us. The Lord beckons you who walk in darkness to come to the light. Darkness is real. Don't be Pollyannish about it. Secondly, as we see here in Isaiah 8 and 9, darkness is temporary. Temporary. The Bible again and again has this refrain. That God is going to bring darkness. God is going to allow darkness to continue its way. He's going to continue this, if you will, this march of darkness at various seasons. You you, you will note here that uh, there is a reference to the fact that uh, God is hiding His face. Verse 16 bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face. That begs the question, why are you hiding from us? Well, we know specifically why in Isaiah's time. Because of their sin, because of their disregard for God, because of their unwillingness to submit to God, and be faithful to God. God turns his face. He hides his face from them. But the righteous man, when the Lord turns away, the righteous man says, even as Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not looking for plan B. The Lord is plan A, and he's the only plan I've got. I want to urge you to consider your own commitment to God in the midst of the darkness. The darkness is temporary. The question is whether or not your faithfulness is going to be temporary. How do you prove yourself to be a follower of God in the midst of impending darkness or lingering darkness? How do you you prove yourself faithful to God? You stay the course. You don't move. You don't change god himself has not changed though he clearly hides his face at different times and in our lives we experience seasons of wonder why is god not where is god what is up with god why won't god and we have these kinds of experiences and i would say to you nonetheless let us praise him we're not in charge of the wisdom of god Exhibit A is Job. Why does God allow those experiences to happen to Job that are so tragic? He never, ever, ever explains that. You want to ask why questions? Ask them until you die. You're not going to get any answers. You're a private. You're not a general. You're not God. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know how he's doing what he's doing. You just have to know that he loves you, that he's at work in your life. Even in the hard times, even in the seeming darkness that others are swimming in, you are clinging to the light. You are hoping in the light. You are waiting on God. I will wait for the Lord, verse 17, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Darkness is temporary. Dear friend, don't let you fall into the trap that somehow, because God doesn't operate on your schedule to remedy or alleviate or lessen or take away the darkness in your circumstances, that somehow he is not God and he is not worthy of your undying affection, your undying faithfulness. He knows what he's doing. He's smarter than you. He's wiser than you. He knows what he's doing. And then ultimately, the third thing I would say is that God proclaims hope. And this is the message that's so beautiful to us in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen the great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. In other words, God is going to turn this, and he is going to bring Relief. He's going to bring hope. And he uh, addresses the measure of darkness, verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned. God's going to come and he's going to set all these wrongs right. And he's going to bring about a change. And ultimately he's going to do this, we know, through the gift of a son, his, the Messiah. God proclaims hope. In himself, and that self will be manifested through his own son. He tells us as much, verse 6 For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and we will place the government upon his shoulder. The problem with earthly governments, every last one of them, is they are not ruled by God, they are ruled by men and women, and we are all flawed. Our hope is not in these things. Our hope is in God. Our hope must be in God. And our life must be calibrated to God, not to the culture. The culture comes and goes. The culture ebbs and flows. The culture has various voices that speak loudly, sometimes more loudly than ever before. And yet, in spite of all of that dark chatter We must look to God. God proclaims hope, and our only hope is God. As for me and my house, we shall not leave the Lord. We shall follow the Lord. And he offers this promise of his own son. I'm reminded of these words in 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 1 Timothy 6 and 16 tells us that God alone has immortality and He dwells in unapproachable light. There is a wisdom to God. There is a truth to God. There is a purity to God. There is a rightness to God. There is a kindness to God. There is a true love in God that is without peer. That is without comparison. God dwells in such unapproachable truth. God dwells in such unapproachable wisdom. Who are you, he asked Job this question, who are you that darkens counsel? You know, when you advise God, all you really do is just muddy things. You're really not capable of giving God advice. Instead, we rely on the promise of God for hope. God is going to send a child. He's going to send a son. And he shall place the government upon him. And he shall be the ruler. We bow before God and before his son. Some of you know that I've been doing a uh, devotional on Facebook on Wednesdays. And I've been doing, going through the Psalms. And eventually we'll get to my favorite psalm, which is Psalm 110. That's the psalm about Melchizedek. We'll get there eventually. But every every week I do one of the psalms and I keep reflecting. My mind keeps going back to Psalm 2. So I just want to show you Psalm 2 quickly and we'll be done. Here's the answer for the hope for Christians. So grateful for this psalm. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against the Lord and against his anointing. And they say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. Let us shuck our lives of God. Let's be done with him. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and he will terrify them in his fury. Saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will tell of the creed. The Lord said to me, and here's his king. The king sat on Zion, this holy hill. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That verse is quoted four times in the New Testament. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. I will, make you, I will give you the government. You'll be the everlasting God. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, he turns to the kings of the earth again. He says, now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. Kiss the son. I will send my son, and I will place the government upon his shoulders, and he shall be the everlasting God the Prince of Peace, mighty, mighty in every respect. He invites you, friend, to come to his Son and to kiss him, not turn away from him, but to embrace him, to draw near. In the midst of your darkness, a light has shined. The question is, do you see it? Do you care to see it? Do you understand that God has not left you without hope? That God has not left you without an answer, if you will, an antidote for your darkness? This theme recurs again and again and again and again. Kiss the Son, because He is the Son who brings the light of God. I implore you today turn from your selfishness and your self righteousness, turn from your worldliness. And from your concern for the things of the world as if these things have ultimate sway over your life. Though, as Job says, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Can you say that today? Will you say that today? Will you embrace the son who Isaiah prophesied would come and who Luke tells us has come? Hear these words again from the lips of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1. "'My soul,' verse 46, "'my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, "'for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. "'Behold, now, from now on all generations will call me blessed.'" as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Yes, indeed, this is the witness of God that God has sent his son to be born in a humble estate as a man, that he might be the King of kings and Lord of lords. We trust that you're looking to Jesus today. He alone is God. Pray with me. Father, darkness is indeed real. We know we live in a broken world. We need you. We help, uh, ask you to help us find you and others likewise. Father, remove the scales. Remove, Father, the darkness. Help us to proclaim the light. Proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And our help comes from the Lord. Our hope is in the work and promise of the Lord. Help us, Father, to believe this. Help us not to get caught up in the ways of the world. The threat in ancient Israel was mediums and necromancers. Maybe not so much today. There are other threats. But help us nonetheless to stay faithful to our God. Give us grace. Please, Lord, as we trust and follow you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.